0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: You're listening to Uncovered with Barat Sundarason and Jared Kimber on the 99.94 Network. All right, so far that worked. So, uh, <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> it's our first live show, everyone. We're, we're doing the best we can. I'm sure Barrett's dogs will come in at one stage, and I'll have to go tend to my uh, sickly daughter. But uh, for now, uh, with, I, I, I had some like grand plan for us um to do a show and we, we will do that one in the future but then yeah, yeah. i realized that suddenly we had three tests this weekend i realized that in the middle of trying to organize my uh family's fake christmas uh dinner and uh deal with a full uh, family of sick people but uh let's start with the one that you were at uh, which is quite interesting it was a test match over in two days at the gabba which is not really a gabba thing uh gabba no. Almost historically, I, I would say it was probably one of the best pitches in the world for a very long time. Mm. I don't think it's quite that good anymore. Um, but it was certainly an absolute brilliant pitch for a very long time. Uh, I can't remember too many two-day pitches there. What was, what was it like uh, on the surface? Uh,
0: look, I think uh, a lot of people are going to make a lot of this pitch. And uh, I- immediately, I was not surprised. In fact, I was saying this on commentary even before the game was over that, the subcontinental social media will uh, go off uh, about, well, if you, you know. if
1: you'd like proof of that, Vikas has sent a message in asking if there needs to be more inf- investigation on pitch tampering and some <laughs> match fixing.
0: So, yes, well, uh, people are very excited. People are. People are. Exactly. Uh, and understandably so. I mean, you don't expect a test match in Australia to finish or anywhere to finish in uh, two days. Uh, But especially not in Australia. And also because there was such a lead-up to this as well. Australia v South Africa. One versus two. Uh, The best fast bowling attacks going up against each other, arguably. So all that played out. But I think I'll have to break it down. The pitch separately and then what actually happened in the match. I think with the pitch, what happened, Jared, is... uh, And it kind of was heading in that direction last year as well. So the curator there... I think just to make sure that it holds together and there's something in it has been leaving a lot of moisture underneath, right? Like he did it last year, he did it this year. The major difference though was last year, the sun broke out and the proper Queensland sun broke out late on day one, but definitely on day two. So it did kind of dry up the the, the surface underneath, under all that grass and it started firming up. So, Because I was doing the pitch report for SEN last year, so I was in the middle every morning. Had you set okay, keys sp- out there. Eh? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't allowed to carry anything. Uh, so it, it's, it's funny because uh, even on day two, you could see some divots. I'm talking about last year. We went there and I, I remember on day two, Joe Root was also there just checking out the pitch and... Um I just had a little, like, I thought, great, right? I mean, when you're doing a pitch report, just ask the guy who batted on it and also the opposition captain he happens to be. So uh, we both agreed that, yeah, I mean, the divots are a little more significant on day two than they should be. But then as that test match played out, there were a, quite a few balls that misbehaved even last year. But because the collapse wasn't as dramatic as it was this time around and also because travis had once again played that kind of knock where it was a chancier knock last year than what we he did here uh, it kind of... People didn't speak so much about the pitch. And it was also the Ashes and the first game of the Ashes and all that drama. And then, and also, a lot, not a lot of media was there. I mean, none of the English media was there at all. I'm sure that would have been a talking point if any of the English media had uh, done the two-week quarantine to be in yes. Brisbane for that test. Don't forget. So, uh, all that happened last year as well. But this year, unfortunately for the curator, the sun never came out. Like, not the... It didn't stay for too long. So, what happened as a result is... The, the moisture never really dried up. So, and in comparison to last year, you had some really big fast bowlers smashing the ball into the pitch, uh, starting with South Africa, and then the Australians all on day one. So already there were like some significant divots, inundations all around, all, all along the surface. Uh, and once the surface underneath gets dented, you can't do anything about it, right? You'll have to, like Ian Healy said, you need to get like a uh, one of those... Uh, machines that can, like, suck up the moisture. And, like, you
1: know, in golf, when you have a divot and you have to, like, redig the surface, like, you can't do that on a cricket pitch, right? You can't do so. that
0: on a cricket pitch, right? Like, you need some suction pipe to just, like, pull it up. So you can't do that either. So he was really, you know, left with no, no option, the poor curator, but to uh, just see the his pitch uh, go down the drain in that sense, right? Like, where by the end of day two, I, I will admit it was beginning to head towards an... Unt- like it, it it was uneasy to bat on for a large lot of, periods
1: of... There was a lot of balls just flying over the top of the batter yes, and the yeah, keeper. yeah, yeah. Know.
0: But like, so it. I don't think it had reached an unsafe point by the time the game finished, but it was heading in that direction. By day three, if somehow this game had lasted till the third day or the fourth day, then it could have potentially reached a point where, who knows, maybe it, it might have been too dangerous to bat on. So, all that played into this whole dramatic two-day finish, which is literally a five-session finish. Mm. If uh, uh, Zondo was literally responsible for taking this game into the last session, if Zondo hadn't shown a lot of grit and gumption, the way he did in the second innings, uh, when he... Had been knocked over very, chi uh, out very quickly of just the second ball in the first innings. I don't. I think this we wouldn't have even had the tea break on day two. That's how quickly the game progressed.
1: It is worth saying, and I've been saying this for a long time, that South Africa's batting lineup is probably worse than England's was when it was really bad.
0: Exactly. That's and where so I was coming in.
1: Dean Elgar, uh, certainly an above average um, yeah. uh, Test match opener. Uh, Irwi Rassi, Temba they're all around average or below replacement level players zondo's new we don't know you know Well, not new but we don't know as much Veriana, i like and could very well be a very good player but is very early in his career then at number seven you have marco jansen who is more praying mantis than human at the moment may end up <laughs> being a test match number seven but Maybe. i would put yeah. no money on him being a test match number seven and then you got maharaj and and Rabada. it's it's been bad for a long period of time. They yes. win games on their on their bowling. We saw in England, anytime there was anything in the wicket, it's like uh, if they make 180, they've
0: done okay. Exactly, absolutely right. Like I did the math, uh, and Dean Elger is the outlier in that top five. That's why I didn't put this stat out. The top five all over 30. Right? Yeah, Elgar's played like well, nearly 80 Test matches, and he has a decent Test average. And, and the rest, the other four. They don't have great first class records either right neither uh, uh, any of those mm, guys yeah and, and so I, my the stat i was looking for is is could this potentially be the the a top 5 in test cricket with the highest average age but the lowest average <laughs> batting average it came and i did a lot of math trust me like all the test numbers i mean a lot of them haven't played too many tests like zondo was playing just his third test for mm. example um, the top five averaged 36, and I think the average age was 33. Like, you make what you want of it. But that doesn't make for great reading, right? That it's, it, it is a very weak batting lineup. So mm. you have a pitch which has a lot of grass, yes... Australia win the toss, do not bowl really well. If they'd bowled well in the first innings, South Africa would have been knocked over for 70 or 80, trust me. They do not bowl well, the lengths were too short. I think at one point, only 23% of the deliveries uh, that they bowled were even hitting the stumps. And they made up for it in the second innings, and that's why South Africa rolled over. So you're talking about a weak batting lineup. And I mentioned this even before the test began, on a difficult pitch against a very good bowling attack, which includes Scott Boland, who can can never take just one wicket in an over. He he either does not take wickets or takes two or three every time he bowls. Um, So they were really... I mean, even if they... Even on a, on a good pitch. I mean, I don't know what the MCG is going to offer. Uh, maybe it'll be, if it's like last year, then... Mm. Yeah, I've already told Isha it's a two-day finish coming up again. Or three-day finish at max. But that has a lot to do with the inexperience and... The technical deficiencies in the, in the South African batting lineup. Like, one dismissal in particular I will bring up. Rasi Wanda Dusen in the second innings. Mitchell Stark's 300 wicket. Great ball. Agreed. You know, Stark has taken so many wickets like that. Big in-swinger. But you see where his bat is. You're talking about a test number three. His bat is so far away from his body. It's like pointing towards cover. And then the ball kind of, you know, sneaks in. Uh, And I was just like, at one point walking, uh, I left the commentary box and I bumped into into Sean Pollock. And he was like, and he summed it up. He said, yeah, that's a ball that would have got a lot of batters out. Maybe everyone out. But it would have got most top-order batters out LBW. It should not have clean-bowled you. That kind of summed up, man. That's a great way of putting it I mean you look at Russi and you look at Temba they are both almost the
1: best actualized versions of themselves right yeah so we know that I mean I had Temba in my shortlist for most improved players he basically went from someone who couldn't make test runs to making test runs if he averages 40 for a period of three years, you'd have to say he's probably exceeded what we all thought he was capable of. Rassi, yep. again, it's taken Rassi forever, step by step, to get to a position to be in the South African team. If he was the sort of player who, who was that talented, he would have been in the team before because it's not exactly. like they've had so many great batters coming along. And I, re- I respect both of them very much. Temba had to go through everything from being you know lambasted for being a quota player from yeah, all this yeah. leadership stuff from probably playing in the wrong formats all these random things and rassy just step by step getting better as a player but that's what they those should be your fifth and sixth best batters yes and they're not even close to that it's it's really it's elga maybe if the keeper gets good he might be the yeah. second best batter in the
0: side like it oh, really absolutely. It, it, it's it's a huge problem it is a huge problem, especially when you have, like you said earlier, Marco Jansen at seven. So you can play Marco Jansen at seven if your middle order consists of A.B. De Villiers, Hashim Amla, Faf Du Plessis, and Quinton de Kock. Then Marco Jansen at seven looks like not a bad idea. But when you have, and credit to Tempa Bavuma, the only batter in this game who batted for or lasted for over 50 balls in both innings. Uh, none of the Australians did, <laughs> and considering... We did get up to number six in the Australian batting lineup before they got to the thirty-four or thirty-five that they needed to get in the second inning. So none of them did. So he did show the composure, and and Temba Bavuma and Kaya Zondo and Steve Smith also proved that this wasn't. And that's what I put in my piece as well. It this wasn't a horror pitch, mm. you know, and that's why I compared it to two thousand two when India toured New Zealand for those two Test matches, where across eight innings, one team got to two hundred. There were three half centuries across eight innings. All three came in the first test. And in the second test in Hamilton, the highest individual score was 39. And I remember watching that on TV. I I was much younger. I was still studying back then. And it was, yeah, you could, those two were pitches where, as a batter, you had no hope, no chance. This wasn't like that. Even though it finished in five and a half sessions, those who kind of, Got in there, found a way of surviving and scoring runs like Verena in the first innings, Bavuma in both innings, Zondo, Travis Head. Like uh, uh, what I said earlier, it wasn't as chancy as his innings last year in at the Gaba or the one in Hobart. Again, very difficult conditions to bat in. He just came and started playing a lot of shots. Here he was two of sixteen at one point, and and who knows, right? If the if the outside edge carries to Dean Elgar and doesn't fall just inches short. Uh, this game could have gone in a completely different direction. So, uh, yeah, I'm all for. Something different, like a two day finish. I've never covered a two day finish. I've done a few. Well, oh, you haven't covered enough days. England, my man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs>
1: uh, so Shinod's put in the chat that uh, South Africa are missing Keegan Peterson. I'm a big fan of Keegan Peterson. I think yeah. he's a very organized batter. For those who don't know, he averages 40 in first class cricket. Yes. And about 32 or 33 in test cricket again. It's the same sorts of players. Uh, just on the other thing about the their pitches, I think you and I probably are you know, completely understand that a lot of the way that the game is talked about is Anglo-centric, you know, Australian, England. England obviously write the game and plan the game and do all those sorts of things, rule the game, spread it around the world. Uh, Australia then dominates the game for, you know, on and off before, uh, well, you know, probably the best team uh, for a long time before the war, produced the best player. Uh, then after the war, uh, they have a really good period and then they dominate again. Then there's a new format of cricket and they dominate that, you know. <laughs> so a lot of what we think about cricket is through that Australian-English lens. And and that, that'll be less so as the game spreads um, throughout Asia. The one thing I would say is that there is a fundamental difference between a pitch... Um, Uh, in in asia that spins a lot and a pitch in in the west that that seems a lot one thing can be that it might seem a lot on day one or two but it might actually even out spinners still have a role to play if a pitch spins on day one it's very rare that, that it's not spinning more on day two day three day four um and that's not the case this is a different kind of pitch though i think You know, whether the uh, curator meant it or not, if you're relying on the sun to break through the clouds, uh, you should probably be penalised. But is it Royal Pindy that was just penalised for the second straight
0: test? Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: But that was obviously... Obviously, no one's saying that those are good pitches, but they both got one penalty mark. And I think you need five penalty marks before you lose a test match, which means they would have to do three more roads. In a- <laughs> so the whole thing's a joke. We actually now have the technology and the system in place to use Hawkeye to work out. At- we can look at, Crickviz's expected wickets or, or, you know, control percentage, you know, or yep. all these different, you know, metrics and, you know, Kadamba metrics. There are all these people who are, who are looking at this oh, yeah, 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 to actually true. go through it scientifically and go, Do you know what, this pitch was a little bit tricky, but it still should have gone into the morning of day four. Right. Or, or the opposite can sometimes be true as well. And, you know, you just, everyone's playing and missing for a day and a half and they don't go out. We now have the ability to take it away from the old biases and even the new biases, right, of, of how we look at things. Um, but at the moment, I think it's just really important to know that South Africa has maybe one of the most lopsided, uh, teams in world cricket in that oh. they have five genuine, five, uh, five genuine bowlers in their starting 11 that, Maybe it wouldn't make every team, but would make a, 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 certainly four of them would make a lot of teams sure. in the world. Um, Maharaj may be a little bit further behind, but even he'd probably play for a couple of uh, you know, a half the test playing nations at the moment. Um, and then they have a batting lineup that does look like uh, they you know found it behind the local 7 11. Uh, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in a minute because there's, there's three tests, like, as I said, there's tests everywhere. Um, although to be fair, me and Bara, well, I was going to say, I was. More excited to cover this one, but I feel like by the time I turned on the TV, the game was over. But I, I certainly watched more of this one than I did on. It didn't any even of the reach others.
0: Monday; it was over over the weekend. That's how quickly this game finished. Like, uh, and before we go to the ad break, like it's one of those, right? Both of us have covered a lot of test matches that finish quickly. When a game finishes in two days, you are kind of left a little breathless, you, even mm-hmm. about. With things like changing your flights and all of that, uh, speaking to the wife about you know when you will come back, and it, it was it was messy to be honest. So yeah, it was a lot of new things to get used to. Thanks to what happened at the Gaba, it, it it really does. i mean, I'm trying
1: to think of the one that I covered. I don't think it was one of the Ahmedabad ones I did for Talk Sport, but I was writing a lot from another test that went in two days trying to actually write everything when everything's on fast forward.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. because you might have
1: three innings in one day. Right. And suddenly you're just like, well, wait, wait, what have, where have I actually been? Anyway, I will have a break. And then after the break, uh, we'll come back and we will talk about India, Bangladesh, because that's the next, um, t- no, we'll talk about Pakistan, England. Cause that's the next tab I have open on, on, <laughs> on my notes. That's what we're doing here on Uncovered today. We are going to try and do more of these as lives, all of them probably, if we can, uh, from now on in, right across the network, but we're starting with me and Barat, and I think uh, Michelle and Santoki might be uh, doing the West Indies one as well, uh, and the idea is to make sure that we get the content up as soon as it comes yeah. out of our mouths. Pakistan match was interesting. I know I, I followed this a little bit more, so you can you can play the uh, spectator a little bit more and, and uh, ask me questions as we go, but... you you look at the first innings and I think it was when Bubba was run out. And I remember I'd watched about an hour, hour and a half of the test at that stage. Um, And it was just a point when I was, you know, really going to sit down and concentrate on it. And I was like, Oh, Pakistan have got something going on here. And of course, the very moment I did that, Bubba was run out. Um, So he was run out when they were, uh, what were they, about five for 200 odd. But even then, you know, they got themselves into a decent position. They ended up on 300 basically due to Agas Selman, who we were talking about, I think, last episode, about them having to shore up their batting a little bit more in order to make it work. But they get to 304 and looking at the pitch and watching it, I was like, this is, I feel like this is okay. I think they should have got 360, 370, but I felt like this was okay. And then you have a look, and England fall to 145 for five. This is the point in the story where you would kind of expect England to start scoring at 15 runs and over. Yeah. They actually, I think from that point on, they put about 200 runs on with the, with the lower order, f- four runs and over. So still quick by any point test normal metric, but certainly not something that you, no. you or I, uh, you know, it's, no, I'm, I didn't even make a, you know, a graphic about it. <laughs> you didn't even go on one of your many media appearances to make a clip about it. <laughs> but again, it shows you that that sort of, you know, that rear guard attacking, um, style that they had, obviously Harry Brooke is just a huge part of that. Right. And then again, Pakistan get themselves into a very, very good position. Yeah. It's In some ways, it's probably the closest they've come. I don't know if they really got close to winning a test in Australia. What was the... Was there one on a fifth day in one of the draws where they had a chance? I'm trying to remember. Oh, Pakistan? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, when Australia was there, for sure. I think was they... it the first
1: or second test? I know there was one. I'm just trying to remember which...
0: No, in Karachi, when Baba Azam and Mohamed Rizwan yes. were batting. Yeah, yeah. Where they actually ended up saving the test. I mean, that was a great, great finish where... At one point, you thought maybe they could... Uh, exactly. Yeah. This was... I, if you look
1: at this match, I would say that when when Pakistan – they lost the three early wickets, but then they had that big partnership in the middle. And again, you know, Baba Azam looked like he was, you know, going to take the game again, away. Um, and again, they collapsed. The more I watched this game, the more I thought, Pakistan probably are not that much worse than England at the moment, which is going to mm. sound crazy because they're going to go down 3-0 at, yeah. at home. But what I mean is, in Pakistan, I don't think they're not much worse. The difference of the form and the confidence and the spirit of which the two teams are playing. Pakistan just looked like a team playing waiting to lose, yeah. whereas England, I mean, you got a teenager come in, <laughs> in, in Rahehan Ahmed, and he bolted some very good deliveries. But there were times yeah. I was watching him bowl going, is he the fifth best bowler yeah. in a good bowling attack? And yet he's ended up with a five-wicket haul run through them, Twice? did he run through them on day one as well um i, th- I think he's ran through the- i think he ran through them a couple of a- times when he was bowling
0: yeah he got two or three and i think in the first yeah did he minutes, get three yeah,
1: yeah I, th- I think i'm trying to remember back to the, the first day but yeah he got two wickets and uh you know and and helped them out um on in the first uh day as well i think they weren't too far apart so i just imagine i right at the moment looking at this pakistan team and we talked about it last week we talked about the strategic problems and the holes within their, their lineup and I'm actually going to do a piece based on 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 what we were talking about today right so tactically I think we're both spot on but you just watch them and they're facing a teenage English leg spinner who was playing club cricket you know a couple of months ago exactly and they do not look like they have any confidence against him realistically they put no pressure back on him uh pretty much all the way through and look, I know he's a confident guy, and and you know perhaps that is that is part of it. But I just felt like they were waiting for England to get it right again, and eventually Harry Brook and Rian Armour had a couple of moments, and they were gone.
0: Yeah, I think Pakistan are rattled. They're just a little shell shocked with what England have uh, brought to their shows, and uh, I think they've also been just swept up by the whole narrative building around what how England are playing Test cricket. And going back to that partnership with Gary, Harry Brook and Ben Fokes, I didn't watch it live, but just looking at those numbers, you're right. But that's the adaptability that this England team is showing, which actually should worry other teams. Yes, the 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 maverick approach that they've taken to uh, batting, especially in desk cricket, is one thing. But the fact that they also have guys who can adapt, and a Ben Fox can come and bat at, at a more conventional test match strike rate and bail them out of trouble uh, means that they are allowing different cricketers to think on their own as well. I mean, we've spoken a lot on this show, Jared, about how it's a cultural revolution and how everybody seems to have bought into uh, this aggressive form of test cricket. But the fact that they can kind of not go back, go from fifth gear to second gear, but just take it a step lower to, like, say, a fourth gear and still show that positivity uh tells you that maybe maybe this uh revolution is is going to be more widespread than than what we thought look and i'm not being a cynic here but obviously everyone it's fair to say that people will wait to see how it goes mm. how it works out when they play australia next uh, at at home whether they stick to it what kind of pitches we'll get uh and whenever they go back to india i think they go to india in early 2024 if i'm not mistaken so within the next 12 13 months we'll we'll know where baseball or where this this uh, journey that the english test team have set up on set out on with ben stokes and brendan McCallum ends or where where it goes whether it takes test cricket to the next level or it it's an experiment that will um uh, not come to a halt but kind of get altered at some point but for now they're doing everything right and i think pakistan are just uh not, they, they, yeah. I mean, series is gone. There was a lot of, you know, uh, you know emotion around Azhar Ali announcing his mm. retirement, and uh, and that that happens in the subcontinent as well, Jared. Like when someone who's been around for so long, like Azhar Ali, has. Uh, if if we don't do farewells very well, I'll be honest. Uh, you know, the the foot just does come off the pedal. So Pakistan haven't really played this test from what I've seen, uh, like a team who. Are hurt because they've been beaten at home you know, 2-0, and they want to avoid a 3-0 ending. They they've almost just succumbed to mm. whatever England are doing, and, and like they've become way more reactive than what you'd expect from from a home team to be. Uh, and it's sure it doesn't help that. Literally, they've had three different bowling attacks, right? Abrar Ahmed uh, has played the last two tests. But I thought Norman Ali was gone after he, you know, didn't have a great series against Australia. But now he's come back and he's taken some wickets. But yeah, it's it's one of those things. I I think, uh, I remember when I was in Karachi, this very... Wise old man, bumped into me. I mean, he was just a fan. He told me, everything breaks up in Karachi. That's how it is. So this is, he was talking, I mean, the reference was about the pitch, but everything else, allegedly. Um, I, I think he was also... Uh, Sounds like I he, think was he threatening
1: was... you now that you've said it. Um, yeah, <laughs>
0: maybe he was. Maybe he was, yeah. Well, <laughs> but,
1: just in the chat, there's a couple of interesting ones. EKG says, did Pakistan not playing our test at home for a long time? Remain a reason. I mean, they've now played... Since 2019. Um yeah. they just played Australia. They beat South Africa at home. So yep. I don't and they play domestic cricket at home, although the pitches are completely different domestically to international, which might play a part. But it shouldn't be a huge reason. The other one I saw is interesting here is Sam has said Pakistan are playing like England were nine months ago. <laughs> uh, which is uh, remarkable. I just finished a little article on um Asa Ali. I, I don't know how many people know the full story. And you know, because he's become successful, yeah, you know, we start to look at him as uh you know, a proper test match batter. But it's really important to know that when he was, what, 15, 16, 17, he was a leg spinner who couldn't bat. And this isn't – when you hear that and you hear the Steve Smith story, it's like, no, Steve Smith, I'm pretty sure I've gone back to – the first time he played for New South Wales juniors, he was batting at first drop. As Ali was batting, like, number 10 for, I don't know, whichever domestic under you know 15 side he was playing in completely different level of player we're talking about something more akin to what we saw with uh mark richardson's rovi shastri but probably a lot earlier it happened in his yeah. career probably happened in his late teens to early 20s but certainly he was coming through the system as a leg spinner becomes a batter but i, I, I he's a very very limited player i had a look mm-hmm. you like this the his leading scoring shot of seam bowling is the leg glance <laughs> and almost every other right-hander I could find of the top test scorers, and I think he's got the – since his debut, he's got the seventh most runs in test cricket, right? So we're yes. not talking about anyone average here. We're talking about someone who's gone on to be a very top-level yeah. player. Uh, but every other right-hander on that list at the top, um, their top shot is the flick. Yeah. And he's probably trying to flick his and getting his to find leg. The other thing I remember is just the amount of times in the last 13 years I've seen him play just a textbook straight drive, but never pick the gap and always hit it, you know, to mid-off <laughs> or mid-on over and over again. But it, it's been a brilliant career for him. Uh, you know, for, for someone like us, you know, he was a great story because you, you could see him not be on the level of batsmanship skill yeah. of some of the other players. And so he overcame that by being a lot more patient by working yeah. on his game a lot more, by sometimes taking things out of his game in a way that even better players don't think about. So um, I just wanted to mention him. Anyway, we'll have another quick break. And then on the other side of the break, uh, we will uh, talk about, what's the next game? india bangladesh there's so much cricket on. Uh, you're back with Jared Kimba and Barrett Sundarayson. Uh, we'll we go to India-Pakistan. I think both of us probably... Overlooked this test match a little mm. bit i have got on my uh to-do list uh to go back and see it and see zaka asan who i think this was his debut test wasn't it? he made yep. 100 in the second innings so i'd love to go back and have a, a deeper look i saw some of it um when i was looking around but i did i didn't get uh, enough to be honest once lit and Das uh failed a couple of times i lost all interest in this test <laughs> uh, Litton lit Das is now um completely bangladesh to me um i don't think this. Am I missing something? Was there anything that surprising in this game uh, that you saw? I, I know, um, I'm sure I, I made runs again down in the order, but we kind of expect him to be pretty yeah. good in Asian, against Asian attacks in Asian conditions.
0: Oh, very much so. And that's right in his wheelhouse, right? Batting against spin. Uh, he does it as well as anyone he does in India, the way he uses his feet, the way he never lets any spinner settle. I remember his innings against Nathan Lyon at CCI before the 2017 series where he completely tore him apart. I think he made a double hundred against Australia in that yeah. game. Uh, but I think what a lot of Indian fans will take away from this game is Gill getting to a hundred. I mm-hmm. think that um, was a long time coming uh, in test cricket, that is. Uh, And I was there when he made his debut famously at the MCG, walked out to bat against uh, what Crick called at that point, I think one of the most unplayable spells or whatever metric that they use. But uh, just watching it live, there was terrific bowling. I mean, Stark and Hazelwood and Cummins were on fire that evening. It was cloudy evening. Uh, Agarwal had got out in the first over, but uh, the way Gill batted, and that one drive, I'll never forget. I've spoken about it ad nauseum when he jumped out to Nathan Lyon and drove him off-drove him, and Nathan Lyon immediately turns around like, who the hell are you? Uh, I think that kind of, in my head, established him as a test better. I did not expect him to wait, uh, then take almost two years to score his first Test 100, uh, but but it has come. And uh, yeah, you almost get a feeling that this will just be the first of many. Uh, another guy scoring the 100, I think was Cheteshwar Pujara, who also what took a long time to get to a, a test 100. His last one was a few years ago, if I'm not mistaken. But
1: He made 90 in the first innings too, didn't he? Which is exactly probably should... the more important innings, but everyone's so <laughs> fixated with hundreds that it gets ignored. <laughs> you know
0: how it is. You know how it is. Like, yeah, people are going to forget about that first inning 90 and talk about the fact that he's back to 100 scoring form. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, a few months ago you thought when Rahane sort of was phased out Pujara's time had come as well Uh, he was struggling to get get into I mean he played some crucial knocks even in England last year he batted a lot of he faced a lot of deliveries in Australia in 2020-2021 took a lot of balls on his body didn't score as many runs as he did in 2018-2019 but uh, he was largely responsible again for India winning uh, that famous series Uh, but you I think people got worried about him not doing a pujara which is not just batting for a long time but also getting those big hundreds so that'll you know and you could see in the celebration I saw some clips of him after getting to a hundred He's a little more animated than usual it meant, meant a lot more to him and I think the other pleasing aspect for a lot of Indian fans is the return of Kuldeep Yadav who that's huge yeah yeah, that I think is huge because people felt that Kuldeep was lost to Indian cricket in a way. Uh, famously, Ravi Shastri had said after he played the Sydney test in 2019 that uh, he is Kuldeep Yadav is India's number one overseas spinner. But then, you know, he didn't play after that overseas. Uh, he didn't um, play
1: anywhere. Like you go back to his record and he just he keeps disappearing from Indian cricket step by step. Um, and you don't want to use the Y word, but there were certainly people within Indian cricket who believe that he had done that. And it happens to left arm wrist spinners. Actually, yeah. it happens to left arm spinners a lot uh, that uh, they lose their action. But with left arm wrist spinners, because of the biomechanics, yeah. your body sort of collapses in a weird way when you deliver the ball, which means it's not as repeatable as a leg spinner. And if you if you look back, he hasn't changed that much, but he's just a little bit stronger when he gets through the crease. That also has also helped him be... Gareth Batty hates it when we say spinners ball quicker, but more direct yeah. is what Gareth Batty would say. And again, that just helps him be a little bit better. And he hasn't really lost that much of the subtlety or anything else. No. It's just that at that, what's he gone up? I think the cricket fans put it up. He's gone up about five or six miles per hour, which is that's a jump, right? That's, it Who, is massive. Who's the last person to have a jump like that, even as a seam bowler? Maybe someone like Southie had a jump like that at one stage. It doesn't happen that often. No. You don't see people put on that kind of extra pace. And so to be able to do that while keeping all, all the rest of it. And then we've seen, look, if, you, if I send a message to Matt Parkinson now and say, would you like to be six miles an hour quicker? He'd be like, yes, please. And he's probably tried everything to be able to do it. So I think that is a really, really interesting story. And it'd be, you know, for someone, uh, you know, for some cricket journalists out there, it'd be really good to go through all those years because I remember doing a piece on it and just being, I was shocked at how little he played from yes. almost from what you're talking about, almost from Shastri declaring him all the way yeah. through. He fades out of the IPL and all, yeah. a, a, and he ends up being like a development player. Do you remember there was – you probably won't remember this, but there was a period where Ben Folks seemed to be training with the England squad more than he ever played county cricket. And, and <laughs> we were being told how great Ben Folks was. And we we're all like, we're not disputing it, but is he going to play two county games this year or is he going to just be like at the, uh, uh, you know, uh, here doing some training drills again with, uh, with, the, with the wicketkeeping coach? And that was years before Ben Folk's broke broke through, and and Kuldeves is more remarkable because he was there and he fell down. I, I do think it's a really really interesting um, story, uh, and, and I think for for Indian fan for Indian fans going forward, if he is this level of bowler from now on, right, that's a huge thing in all three formats, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and, and you know, it, interestingly or ironically, spending a lot of time with the Indian team. Without playing, helped Kuldeep Yadav because that extra pace that you speak about, the the extra zip he added to his bowling, I almost saw it happen in front of my eyes in Australia during that 2020-2021 tour, where he was here for, I think they reached, what, on November 12th in 2020, they landed in Australia and they left nearly two... And a bit months later, Kuldeep Yadav was there for the entirety of the tour. I think played two white ball games, and that's it. Everybody played, but Kuldeep Yadav. Even Washington Sundar played that last test. Literally
1: everyone played. You played two games, if I remember correctly.
0: Exactly. When Ashwin was ruled out of the Gaba test, uh, the late great Shane won, and everyone expected Kuldeep. Even we expected Kuldeep Yadav to finally get a game, but then the balance of the side, as we know, uh, had to be fixed, and Washington played. But. During that series I saw Bharat Arun the former bowling coach work a lot with Kuldeep Yadav and it was purely on this on just getting that extra zip going through his uh, putting a little more shoulder almost put a little more body I'm no left arm wrist spinning uh, action expert but I just saw him put a lot more body into it mm-hmm. and just to get that zip going and 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 because he always had the variety but the feeling with so speaking to Bharat Arun and speaking to those who know what they're talking about, spin bowling, is that they felt that he was a little too, uh, not loopy, but a little too, little slower than you should be at, at that international level. Also,
1: specifically, very slow for an Indian spinner, right? Yes. It, it's been a long time. Look, if you look at, you know, in Indian spinners, it, in fact, there was a great clip a couple of years ago of someone putting up Beatty bowling you just don't get Indian spinners who bowl that slow anymore. And Indian spinners are probably at the, maybe not quite the forefront because obviously you had Ajmal and, um, and Shahid Afridi in Pakistan. But I would say that Indians are very close to being at the, at the forefront of that. And you see that specifically, you know, Bangladeshi spinners um, and um, uh, Sri Lankan spinners are a little bit slower. Uh, But in India and Pakistan, you do see that a little bit more pace and it seems to be following that. So He would have stood out at a certain point. And the minute he stops getting wickets, trust me, as someone who has spent a lot of time talking about, you know, Matt Parkinson, trust me, everyone behind the scenes would have been pointing at that lack of pace. I don't think it was just that.
0: I really do think it was
1: was. a physical change and just tightening his action a little bit more.
0: Oh, very much so. And on confidence thing as well. I mean, you've seen like... For those of us who have seen Kuldeep Yadav for a long time now in international cricket and in IPL, he is one of those guys. He he's a confidence confidence cricketer. He has a lot of self confidence, but I think at some level he, he he his body language changed. I saw during that Australia tour and just generally that couple of IPL seasons where uh, you know he just kind of faded away. Because for a while till the 2019 World Cup, uh, Yuzvendra Chehal and Kuldeep Yadav had become like the deadly duo in the middle overs, right? Like they were supposed to... Mm. There were talk, I remember very vividly, there was talk around that period where um, India maybe didn't do well in a couple of test matches here or there. There was this serious talk of why not play Kuldeep Yadav and Yuzvendra Chahal as our test duo as well. So that's where his career was in 2019. And then it just kind of dipped, uh, but he's got age on his side. I see a comment from uh, Keshav saying, are we reading too much into it? Maybe not. I mean, it's just one test match against Bangladesh. I mean, for
1: me, it's not about this one test match. It really has been of, you know, watching him for a long period of time. Uh, The speeds are the most interesting thing. As I said, people just don't put on that speed, right? No, that That is, so even if he's, if, if he was averaging 30 to 32 um, uh, when he came back, he's definitely a more consistent bowler. Which means even let's say best case scenario is he could be India's frontline bowler in limited overs cricket, and then yeah. occasional what third spinner when when they want a wrist spinner in Test matches. That's a good ceiling for him. Yeah, and he it looks like he he could do that. If he's better than that, that that's even more exciting for India. Just on um, Bangladesh a little bit, so. Yeah. One of the reasons I want to have a look at um, – uh, it was a weird test for, uh, for them. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure. I mean, Shaky made some runs in the second innings. They were chasing 500, I thought, yeah. from the bits I saw. I thought they batted okay. Um, uh, but um, uh, um, Zakir uh, – I've forgotten his name already. I just I said it. Zakir Hassan. Hassan. So yeah. he's really interesting. So he averages over 40 in first-class cricket, low 40s. I think it's around 40, 41, 42. But he made, he made a duck in the game against India A – and then yeah. in the second innings made 173. Uh, he uh, failed in the first innings here, made 20 and then made a hundred in the second innings. Really interesting that against good quality attacks in high pressure situations, he's made some big runs so far. Um, I, it, you know, it, I don't know much about his backstory or anything else, but I did look at him and think there was something of his batting there. But, Uh, I think all things considered, uh, Bangladesh, basically, after maybe letting India off the hook a couple of times with the ball, just batted really poorly in that first innings. um, You know, in some ways, it's it's similar to the South Africa test, isn't it? It's, you you know, if you're going to allow the opposition to have that big of a lead, it's, you know, you're kind of a long way behind. But uh, uh, is there anything else? Are are you working on anything at the moment or anything else caught your eye that uh, you're interested in?
0: Uh, no, I mean uh, I'm just going to take a few days off now that uh, the Yaba test has given me that opportunity. Like I said, I finished that piece on the flight yesterday about uh, yeah, it a lot of lot of horror story uh, analogies. I don't know if all of them hit the mark, but uh, uh, no, uh, uh, what I, what did catch my eye though is uh, the fact that Rohit Sharma has played just two Test matches since he took over as. Uh, India's official Test captain earlier this year. He's just—it's been a wretched time for him in terms of injury. Or uh, whenever there's been Test matches, uh, he missed out on the the fifth Test of the series in England, where Jasprit Bumrah captained the side. KL Rahul has captained uh, India a few times, like he did in this first Test, and looks like he's Rahul Rohit Sharma's ruled out of the second Test again. So uh, it, it's interesting, especially at Rohit's age, where uh, you know he's in his mid-thirties now. Missing out Test matches when you've just become captain—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm sure he's really, really frustrated with it. But it's how it's played out. Uh, of course, there's the Tendulkar making runs again. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I told you you weren't allowed to mention that. I know, but I, I just had to sneak it in. But no. Uh, I do have a fun t- Arjun Tadunka story, but I'll keep it for another show. Uh, it, We've all it's, got uh,
1: Arjun Tadulka stories because he was literally at the Lord's Nets for like six years. <laughs> like I've seen him send off international cricketers with cream puff deliveries before. I've heard him talk his game up ridiculously compared to like test match players around him. And it, I mean, he good on him. If you're not confident and you're, you know, I mean, I don't know if everyone knows this, but... You know, Don Bradman's son changed his name, Yeah. right? Like, think Bradson. about
0: that. Yeah, that,
1: I know. you know, and and we, you know, there are there are quite a few famous athletes um, who've done things like that before. You know, I don't want to get to. Um, yeah Emilio yeah. Estevez with this although I believe Emilio Estevez took his mum's. name that might be a separate one but you know, you know there are certainly famous famous people who don't do that but yeah I, no he made some runs at a game I suppose that's what, <laughs> I, how much do you how much do you are you going to pay any attention to the IPL draft what's your IPL draft because uh, I know you cover Australia but uh, you got to cover it from an Australian point of view are you, do you watch no, it not- or do you just follow it when it's finished
0: no, no, no! I do watch it. I love to watch the IPL auction. I think it's uh, it's grown on me and because the first seven or eight years I, I covered it very diligently. A few years I was at the venue, but mainly off TV. It was always like when I worked for the Indian Express, it was almost a given. Like IPL auction, Bharat will do it. So, I, and I I started really enjoying it, um, the whole drama around it, and also seeing how it went from being one of those uh, uh, very like you know uh, rich rich Indian people sitting there and just showing off their wealth in. Till like say 2012 to actually becoming a scientific process uh you know you started like you knew this team would have a certain formula to it and that team mm. and and then when you would see an rcb come out to an ipl auction with a new strategy you're like wow okay they've changed so i i, I do like to keep an eye on it i think i'll be in melbourne that day watching some training so i, I it depends whether i'll get to watch it live but i'll certainly be following it but i see a couple of comments which have caught my eye for sure. Nikon wants to know: Sepulchra, Cannibal Corps or Slayer" to describe the Brisbane pitch. I think I'm I'm going cannibal with Cannibal Corps.
1: Uh, God, I haven't heard though. I haven't heard of them in so long.
0: I know, I know, I know, I know. I mean, of the three, I think I'm more a Slayer guy, but I I, I love my Cannibal Corps. So I think it was it was Cannibal Corps. Like you know, Cannibal Corps had that that great ability to have like a they would start off heavy, and then would have like a temba bao ma zonda like middle like middle period through some of their songs, the longer ones, and especially, and then finish strong. Like there would be a drum solo in there. So yeah, this test match was more Cannibal Corpse and Slayer for sure. <laughs>
1: Thank you for putting your comments in. As I said, we're going to do these live. Basically, me and Barrett have to fit this around our own lives. So it's usually late at night for me in the UK and early morning for him in in Australia, uh, depending on when we're traveling. I think outside chance I might be in New Zealand to see England, New Zealand, but I might end up having to cover that from home at the moment. Uh, But yeah, I've got the Pakistan piece coming up, which I is I'm just having a look at it from a strategic point of view of how they've somehow managed to make a batting and bowling issue out of the same that same sort of middle order it's really interesting because if you look at their top seven or eight players uh what we've seen from them in the last year is not ideal but it's this them trying to fill fill in the cracks it reminds me a little bit of what south africa did after kellis in fact Um, Not that they're they're trying to cover up the same thing. Um, But I'm sure me and Barrett will have plenty more and we'll be back uh, again next week to chat. So thank you to everyone who commented and for all those who listen or are watching on Twitter or watching on YouTube or, I don't know, wherever you all are in the world. Uh, Thank you very much and we'll see you for Uncovered uh, roughly the same time next week. And by roughly, I mean, I have no idea, but we'll be around next week. Thanks for listening to the 99.94 Network. Cricket, every day. Remember to download our app or just search for your favorite team at 99.94 where you find podcasts on Google or YouTube. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon, and there are many other extras available there as well. There is a link to the show notes. The show is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. Barrett Sundaresan is my co-host. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great production team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapai and Maida Akam producing podcasts. And Makunda Bandretti is the head of our YouTube account.